0: For your support, your encouragement, your prayers. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about what I'm doing and what God's called me to do. Uh, I, uh, Lola and I lived about 27 years in the High Point Greensboro area and raised our sons over in High Point. And I worked at uh, at a ministry at a Christian school in High Point at Wesleyan Christian Academy and coached soccer there for a long time. And uh, Just being a follower of Jesus, I wanted my coaching to be something where I could connect with those young men and minister life to them and not just play games and try and win games and found that it was a really fruitful place to do that. Um, And then uh, God called us to Charlotte about eight years ago to join a ministry that intentionally and very specifically uses soccer as an avenue you need to understand, soccer's not the end. It, all it is is a delivery system. The whole intention is the gospel. And um, we found that this instrument is incredible. Um, you can cross any political, racial, tribal, national, ethnic, Language, you can cross any boundary whatsoever with that game. Now, it's hard to believe if everybody around the world loved the NFL like they do here, then you could understand. We're like the only country in the world that's kind of catching on right now. I'm not going to say anything about the esteem of soccer. I'm just saying it's esteemed around the world that way. And there are people that will never, the, the, their shadow will never grace the threshold of a church. If you invited them to church, they would never show up. But if you invited young men, and now around the world, young women to come play soccer, there are churches that are employing this strategy. There was one in Ethiopia about eight years ago that had a struggling youth ministry. This strategy was introduced to them they engaged soccer, they literally had to hire armed guards and surround the facility where they were meeting with the kids to try and control the volume of the children that were coming to that church to be engaged in the program they were offering. Can you imagine? Could you imagine having a youth group? We're going to have to hire some people with some guns, man, just to control this thing. It's a very effective strategy. I've got a little five-minute video that'll give you a better picture. I I consider trying to explain it, but why don't we uh, why don't we roll that and it might give you a better idea of what we're up to? Well, sports ministry is like the gospel in action. You're able to. Speak the gospel but you're also able to be an example on the field and doing like something that you love soccer is the number one sport in the world if you can go anywhere all you need is a ball it's the perfect tool in my mind to share the gospel so many people in so many different cultures play sports and soccer is probably the biggest because it's all around the world i think my favorite thing is actually playing matches against other teams and then afterwards Being able to show the love of God uh, while you're playing and more so afterwards when you're able to talk with people um, one-on-one or even to the crowd explaining why you're doing what you're doing. Have those intentions of, okay, I'm going to use this not for myself but to benefit others. God just takes that and just expands and just blows it up bigger than you could ever imagine. Training part of what we do to accomplish our mission: a season of training to prepare players for a lifetime of service. We try to do what we call sports ministry training, where we're training our men to, to take their faith and put it on the field. That's the transformation. Going through the material, the sports ministry training material, of just kind of a theology of sports ministry and learning more deeper about how God wants us to be in the context of sport. That's, that's- we all enjoy the game. I love the coach, I love to play. All these guys are driven, they're competitive, but but investing these guys on the spiritual side, that's that's what I get excited about and that I get to do with the environment of soccer. It's a phenomenal place to grow. From the staff around you, to the opportunities you get, to the leadership you can provide for the team, the perfect place to be as an athlete. I love being a part of I guess it's a Christian organization that is so fired up about God and using soccer as their ministry. There are a lot of guys that are really serious about growing spiritually, and I've been mentored by several so far already. It's not a challenge uh, to not only improve myself on the field. I was able to grow in in certain things off the field as well. I don't think I'd be the person I am today without the organization altogether. Being at camp with kids, I felt more alive than I've ever felt. As we try to teach kids how to play soccer to get better. We also share Christ with them, which is our, our main purpose here. This camp of two hundred is being led by two of our student leaders and they're doing an excellent job giving them a practical experience in in leadership. Over in Japan we do clinics for kids as well as uh, playing different university teams. And even though there's a language barrier, playing soccer always helps break it down and um, Especially when we go to Brazil, it's Portuguese as a language and then soccer. And immediately the kids just respond to us, because we play soccer, we invest in their lives, and now they're open to hear about the gospel. You go across the country and you pick up a ball and within 10 minutes you have 50 to 100 kids surrounding you, and so just knowing that it can easily build a relationship. How one sport, how one soccer ball and a smile can unite two teams who don't, who can't even communicate because we don't even understand each other. It's hard to describe and being a part of it has been such a blessing. I was really feeling that we were supposed to live alongside people, um, to move into neighborhoods, to move into cities that need Christ's light and just let Christ's spirit flow through us there. Sports ministry, being a sports minister, brought us into the neighborhood. We were using soccer to build relationships with the kids, through soccer practice, you know, playing soccer out on the field. My heart is to see this whole community transformed by God's love. And so it started with us rolling out a soccer ball two years ago and bringing a couple snacks. And so we play soccer for an hour, hour and a half. We are to have deep relationships with the families here and serve. Serve um, in whatever place that you can. They're equipped to go take what they learned and duplicate it, replicate it in another culture, back at their college team, wherever they go to coach, but we hope that by the time they spend the summer with us, they're empowered to about to change the world and make life change. And so we, we just want to be intentional through a motivating platform that draws you, it's a magnet to you to provide that platform to be able to share that message of hope with the youth of the world. For me, one of the more exciting places that we're engaged, two areas, one is urban. So you do realize, I think Greensboro is receiving a lot of refugees, right? And so is Charlotte. These people come, they're culturally unaware They're very vulnerable. The youth are incredibly vulnerable. We have staff that move as full-time missionaries into refugee neighborhoods and live in the apartment complex with them and then identify the youth that are there and we form teams because here's core beliefs that we have. We believe that everybody's life needs to be changed by Jesus. Everybody. It's a desperate need, critical need we all have Second, we understand Barna research and other research shows that after a parent, a coach has more influence on the life of a child than anybody else that could enter their life. So we're going, we're going to hunt that dog. We're going to go with that. A team, how many people have ever belonged to a team of some kind in some way whatsoever? Let me just look at it across the room. We've all been parts of teams. A team's a great place to create a greenhouse for growth that you can create the culture on that team that would stimulate those things. And the coach, a trained coach, which is what we do, we train coaches, a trained coach could come and capitalize on that environment. We see that soccer crosses all of these boundaries. And so we're, cap- we're encouraging the church and we're releasing and training and releasing uh, missionaries ourselves so that we can use this strategy. And the really place that I'm excited about is international and, Mike and Michael and Cynthia have been with us to, to Kenya to work with uh, leaders there. But just take Kenya as an example. We started with one team back in 2006 on an Islamic island just south of the Somali border, 99.9% Islamic. You, you could not have started a youth group there. And, but we had a soccer team with 36 Muslim boys. And slowly, slowly, boys are coming to the Lord. We moved from that to training more coaches and casting vision for more pastors, there are now, since 2006, there are over 800 church-based teams that are capitalizing on this environment and the power of a trained coach, a transformational coach, and a culture he can build on a team, reaching over 4,000 youth across Kenya. Kids that never would have come to church. It's really a powerful tool. So you guys are supporting me in doing that. And I I want you to know that, A, that's happening, and, B, just make sure you know you're, you're supporting and encouraging that. So we want to say thank you. So I know that there's some folks here that you had no idea that was happening and just thought I'd share with you that you're helping make that happen. So the fruit of that, you know how the kingdom works? The fruit of that that comes out of that, guess whose fruit that is? That's your fruit. Isn't that cool? That's your fruit. You're investing. And so Piedmont International Church, as a community, is investing in this, and then that's your fruit that comes back to you. So well done. Great. I want to share with you this morning about something that is absolutely critical in the life of every believer and in every community. And it's particularly important right now, and I think it's particularly important for a community like Piedmont International Church because of the diverse composition that's here in this church community, which is beautiful. Charlotte's been in a tough place. You guys are aware of that, aren't you? It's a tough place. Hey, be encouraged. The church is rising up. I mean, I am so blessed with how the church is, is responding to what's going on. It's been a tough, tough time. It's been a tough time for a community. It's been a tough time for the church. This isn't anything new. Can you imagine what the body of Christ has gone through for 2,000 years? Can you imagine the, the times that people were huddled in Rome and going, I saw my pastor tied to the lamppost that they had dipped in oil, and he was the torch lighting the street last night. What are we going to do? It gets tougher than what we're going through. Amen? Ask our brothers and sisters in China. It gets tougher than what we're going through. But we still have dynamics that we need to work through. And what I'm going to share with you goes to us personally and uniquely and independently as well. And that is forgiveness. Forgiveness is probably one of the most important components of our walking out and living out our life as a follower of Jesus. Do you ever watch the the Western movies and they had the Conestoga wagons? And those wagons would be going across the plains. I don't know if you ever noticed, but on the side of a wagon would be a bucket. There was always a bucket tied to the side of the wagon, and there was a ladle in there, you know, a big spoon thing. Do, do you know why, those, why that was there? Do you know what was in that bucket? Grease. Grease. Might have even been animal fat. That might have been the best thing they could get hold of. And what they did was... I've in a misshaped ear, I think. <laughs> what they did was, as they... Um, as they crossed, they had wooden wheels with a wooden axle. And you had to keep that lubricated because if you didn't, it would wear down. And then your wagon would collapse. And now you've got a three-wheeled wagon. You're not going to get very far. And so they had to have continual attention to going around. It's probably one of the kids' jobs. You know, as you went along, like every hour you went and just poured a little grease in there. And what that did was that created a lubrication that allowed the movement and their progress and their reaching their goal be accomplished. That's what forgiveness is like. Forgiveness is essential. If we don't apply this, this gift that's been given to us by God, the wagon's going to shut down, and we're not going to get where God really wants us to go. So I'd like for us to look at forgiveness. And what I'd like to do is look at, uh, our church has talked a lot about this, our pastor's Shared some of these things here, just some really neat nuggets that I picked up. Lola, uh, my wife, raise your hand, Lola. So there's Lola. She hates me for doing that. So <laughs> you'll have to forgive me, Lola. <laughs> Start practicing right now. Um, she's a counselor. So when we moved to Charlotte eight years ago to join the ministry, Lola felt called to, to counseling and went back to grad school, mm-hmm. went to Gordon Conwell, got her master's, and is now a Christian counselor. She has told me that the vast majority of people that come in to meet with her, many of them Christians, probably the most immediate triage that they need is to go to the bucket and start pouring some forgiveness on there. It's powerful. I'd like for us to look at Matthew 18, 23. You have notes here, don't you? Yeah, so just feel free um, I might skip over some stuff, but we'll see. We'll go through. So here's the scripture. For this reason, Matthew 18, 23 to 35, for this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. By the way, 10,000 talents, guess how much money that is in today's currency. Six billion dollars. I have no idea what this dude was doing, but but he had a debt, didn't he? $6 billion. But since he did not have the means to repay, no kidding, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Guess how much money a hundred denarii is in today's currency? It's $12,000. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a lot of money to me. But in my lifetime, could I have the capacity to repay that? Yes, I could. And that's really important to this story. One debt is payable. The other debt is unpayable. Okay? That slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a 100 denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, He did the same thing, saying, have patience with me, I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, the Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that $6 billion because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you and forgiven him his 12,000? I threw that in there. And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Will that ever happen? No. What would you describe an environment to where you're tortured until you can repay something that you could never repay? Hell. That's what hell is. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow, that's heavy. I'd like for us to look at and think about that scripture. There are three key truths from that scripture. First of all, the servant owed what would be $6 billion to the master. And it was an impossible debt to pay. What does that sound like? Wait, we're going to dialogue, okay? What does that sound like? Yeah, yeah. My debt, my debt to God. You know that? I don't care how many laws we could institute, and processes that we could try and do that out of our own strength and our own will and our own ability, be able to pay God the debt to cover the sin. That we have. We have a $6 billion debt. Unpayable. That's what the servant owed. And his fellow servant owed $12,000. It's a lot of money, but you can pay that in time. Key point you can't pay your debt to God. I think we've all figured that out. Amen? <laughs> That's why we're sitting here right now. We've figured that out. It's a really important part of becoming a believer. One of the first things you have to recognize is you have a broken relationship with God with a debt that you, you are a sinner. And you have a debt that it's absolutely impossible for you to pay. And that's probably one of the biggest challenges to people in the gospel, right? People, don't, people think they're basically good, and they can deal with it. Holy Spirit's got to bring that conviction. Second truth out of this scripture, only God can pay your debt. See, I owe, well, Lola and I owe, we owe the bank about $150,000 on our house. Okay? If they came to me today and said, we want that, I couldn't pay them that. There's no way. But if that debt were to be forgiven, there's only one party that can forgive that debt. Who is that? The bank. When there's a debt, the only person that can forgive the debt is the one that's owed. Are you starting to see the economy of this thing? Yeah? That's what Jesus did for us. We owed him a debt that we could never pay, and he chose to set us free from that debt and forgive us. He gave us mercy, so we didn't, Receive what we deserved, which was hell. And he gave us grace to where we received things that we didn't deserve. Heaven. And he gave us a new identity. Then a third truth out of this is, if God's forgiven us, we should forgive others. I mean, the master was really clear about that, wasn't he? Wait a minute. can okay, I forgave you six billion, and you can't forgive that guy 12,000? I mean... This is the biblical example of ticked off, okay? I mean, this master was furious because he understood that there, guys, there really is, there really are structures and processes and an economy to how the kingdom functions. And by the way, a place I want to go is we're all, our identity now is in a kingdom identity. When I go to Vietnam, work with coaches there, one of the first things I tell the, the guys is, look, you may be thinking, oh, an American guy's come here and he's going to share with us. I just need to let you know. Um, I'm not an American. I'm a Christian. And I'm your brother. I belong in a I have a whole new identity. I belong to a whole new kingdom. And I'm here as your brother sharing with you, and we need to operate that way. I happen to live in America, and I flew here from there. But I have a whole new citizenship. Amen? So can I bring this a little closer to home? So here we are in America, and brothers and sisters with an abundance of pigmentation, here you are. I, I want to ask you a question. Are you a black person? that happens to be a Christian that lives in America? Or are you a Christian that happens to be black that lives in America? This is, the, this is the trip we're trying to get the kids to, the young college players, the 150 college players we'll train each summer in our programs, to where they'd realize, I'm not a soccer player that happens to be a Christian. I'm a Christian that happens to play soccer. That changes everything. That changes the whole dynamic. I'm preaching to the choir because you're all sitting here together, and you're, you're willing to embrace the challenge that that is. And I respect you so much to sit here in this room. This is not easy. Amen? Amen? Amen. <laughs> it's not easy. But you're brave, and you're saying, I value that, and I'll go for that and I'll get in there, and I'll fight that fight because I think it's important, and I think the church should live that out. And I would want to be part of a community that's expressing that and helping people realize it's a reality. Amen? So, well done. So God's forgiven us. Bitterness, resentment, grudges, hate, those things become our jailers and put us in a prison of unforgiveness. Forgiveness is just refusing to retaliate and get revenge. It's part of the definition of that. And I give up the right to expect you to pay off your $12,000 debt. And by the way, this is PhD Christianity. This is big boy and big girl Christianity. This is where we really, really, really live out our faith. The place that really begins is at home. The people that are the closest to you can hurt you the most. That's the place where we gotta have the biggest bucket of, of, of grease and just continually apply it. Come on. I mean, there's all kinds of dynamics in a marriage relationship and in a home and with our kids. And it's, I mean, your kids are getting older, you're not gonna believe what they can say to you. He's sitting there going, I'll never do that, he will. And you guys are going to have to work out a relationship where you it's part. you understand it's part of your process, bro. Learning how to forgive your parents and them learning how to forgive you. And you're going to have to work that out together. But if you'll pursue that and say, hey, all I know is in, on our wagon we got this bucket and it's going everywhere we go. And we're going to use that. Forgiveness is one of the most incredible gifts God has ever given you. It's a gift to you. Just like with Lola's clients, She's seeing it's an antidote, it's a gift to them to set them free from so much of what they're struggling with. So what are the benefits of forgiveness? Well, first of all, for us, it sets us free from the freedom of unforgiveness, the bitterness, the desire for the revenge. Our pastor says, David Chadwick says, unforgiveness... When I choose to not, so let's say you've done something and you've offended me. What's your name? Andy? Okay. Let's say Andy did something and just ticked me off. So I'm pulling in the parking lot. He just whips around me. I see the sweet spot. And I know there's going to be shade. Anybody think about that? There's going to be shade there all morning. And I'm going, I'm, I'm heading for that spot. He just pulls in there. He gets his little sun visor thing out and he cracks his windows. And I'm going, dude, Andy, I was going for that spot. I was in here first. Okay. Hey? But what I could do is I could, I could think, dang it, Lola, did you see Andy? Man, I can't believe that. And then I can make the decision, I'm going to hold a grudge against Andy, and I want to tell you, this is the stupidest thing ever. I'm going to think, I'll get Andy. I'm going to hold a grudge. <laughs> I'm not going to forgive him. And I think that if I choose, because you made me mad, if I choose to not forgive you, that I'm hurting you. Wrong. (laughs) You're killing yourself. And our pastor says, not forgiving somebody in that way is like drinking poison, and I expect Andy to die. Are you guys getting this? And w- I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, because if I do and somebody doesn't raise your hand, I'm going to have to come slap you. <laughs> we, all ha- we all struggle with this, don't we? We do, and, and we're messed up. And we think, I'll get them. And, okay, yeah, don't raise your hand. Have you ever done that with your spouse? You're mad, and you go, nah. No, I'm not going to let that go. Hey, look, we're going to get to something in a minute, and that's it. There's real stuff that has to be dealt with, okay? So we're not talking just whitewashing stuff. We're talking about your heart, okay? It's like drinking poison and expect the other person to die. And we're the ones that get hurt when we choose not to forgive. I love this scripture in Philippians 3.10 starts talking about us starting to act like Jesus, and it says that I might know Jesus, I might know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his... Ah. So there, following Jesus means I get to have some suffering. Did you know that you might actually suffer if you choose to forgive somebody? Back to an economy. That's one of the reasons that we choose not to. We're going, I might suffer in this thing. And Jesus is trying to. The master was owed $6 billion. He forgave the debt. Who suffered? I don't know about you, but if I forgave somebody $6 billion, I would know in this economy of things, I'm going to suffer. God forgave us our $6 billion debt. Who suffered? Jesus. Right? So there is suffering in this. But it's worth it. There's another benefit of forgiveness, and that's for others. Look, we're not excusing what they're doing, and we have to acknowledge that it happened. See, we're not taking it and burying it. We're facing it. We're seeing that it's real. But what we're saying is, I choose to leave the judgment for that to God and that I don't get to put on the robe, pick up the gavel, slide into that seat, and declare judgment. It takes a lot of faith. I, I love, anybody ever watch, um, what's the Corey Tin Boone movie? Hiding, hiding. hiding Place. Anybody ever watch Hiding Place? Okay, this is your assignment. You've got to go watch this you got to find The Hiding places. It's about Corey Tin Boom, who was, her family was hiding Jews. Her family gets arrested. They get put in concentration camps, and there's this moment where she's facing the general who's overseeing all this stuff, and he knows where her father is, and he's trying to crack her, and she just looks at him and says, I forgive you. And I'm sitting there, I'm watching, I don't care how many times, I bet I've seen that movie ten times. Every time I see that, I go, that is unbelievable. Believable. I mean, on my respectometer, like Cory tin booms, right up here at the top. And she suffered for that. But she chose I am she looked at that guy and she said, "I'm not going to carry the bitterness, And that's what you're trying to put on me right now." And he would wind her up, and then one day he called her in and told her, "Your dad's dead, by the way." And we just buried his body with a bunch of others under a bulldozer. Nope. That's 75 billion. I'm releasing you of that, too. And she chose not to walk in bitterness. It's just unbelievable what that woman did. So forgiveness benefits others. That guy, you could see him, that general, she cracked him. She messed with him big time. And she was setting him free. And then for the world, Gandhi said, hey, if you live by eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, the world is going to be sightless and toothless. When we start living this out, we change the world. Amen? We change the world. So what happens if we don't forgive? If you choose not to forgive, you're going to become a slave in a prison. And you might need to come visit Lola. And that person, that other person, controls you. Think about that. So some of you have a parent or a relative that has hurt you in some way. I know statistically there's people all in this room that have been hurt by people that are very close to them. If you choose not to forgive that person, and by the way, that person could be dead. And if you choose not to release that $12,000 debt, they still control you from the grave. One of the most important things you can do. And I'm not saying, guys, I'm not saying this is easy. This is hard stuff. You need to release that person. And you need to say, listen, this doesn't mean we're going to get into this. We're going to get into a what is forgiveness and what isn't forgiveness. So we need to get that real clear. That doesn't mean you deny that it happened or that it, you're incredibly devastated by that. But there's a debt that's there, and you, that they owe you that debt, and you are the only person on this planet that can release them. And if you choose to not release that person from that debt, you're drinking poison and expecting them to die. So how do, we, how do we forgive? We go to the one that we've offended. Matthew 5, 23 to 24 says, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, in other words, if you've offended them, leave your offering at the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Hey, some of us know that we've wronged somebody. Some of us know that we have a debt to someone. What do you say we go to them and say, like that slave did, and say, hey, I know I hurt you. I know what I did hurt you. By the way, you know what? We're going to get into talk about reconciliation for just a second, but that doesn't mean your relationship's going to end out okay. This is one of the misnomers about forgiveness. Doesn't mean your relationship's going to be okay, but you can ask them to release you from that debt, just like you. I could go to my bank and say, hey, could you, would you forgive us the 150000 It's up to them. And this is what Jesus is talking here. Guess what he's referring to? He's referring to this bucket on the side of the wagon that we're all taking on our journey as we head for our destination. So how do we forgive? And I'm just going to fly through these scriptures, guys, so I'm not going to refer to them. We remember our own sins. We remember God's grace to us. We stop rehearsing in our mind what happened. And by the way, for some of us, with the depth of the pain of what somebody has done to us, that's really hard. But we can have a tendency to bring it up and just keep rehearsing it. it. We've got to stop that cycle. And by the way, if you're at a place where you can't stop that cycle, I would highly recommend That you engage a Christian, biblically based counselor to help you in that journey, to do that, skilled, and help you think that through. And stop talking about it. And pray for your offender. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43 to 45, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Wow. He's saying, you guys practice this and do this and you will have the mark of my children and people will see you and they will be amazed. People will be amazed. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. In an area near where Michael and Cynthia and I were, just beyond Ruiru, out towards Thika, there's. did you see the pineapple fields out there? No, it's just beyond where we went. There's Caesarea in Kenya, pineapple fields, I mean, as far as the eye can see. And what's really fascinating is in those fields, pretty good distance apart, probably further apart than I would like to have if I was picking pineapples, (laughs) It looks almost like birdhouse stands, or these posts with these boxes. In the fields, they've got a problem, cobras. That's not my usual workplace challenge I want to have, but for the people that are in those fields, cobras can come and get in the fields because rodents will get in there that are eating on the pineapples and that's their food source. And so people that are harvesting pineapples, it's possible that you could get in a spot, not see a cobra be bitten, And the clock starts ticking. You've got a certain amount of time. What is it you need? You need an antidote. Don't you? You've got poison in you. And if you don't address this poison, you're going to die. You're going to rot from the inside out. You know what that is? That's unforgiveness. So in those posts along the way are these boxes, and they've got these EpiPen-type things That are antidotes to the venom from the cobra, and so they somebody a friend will run get it come hit them and they're going to be okay. Probably get the rest of the day off, you know, (laughs) but they're, they're going to be okay. This is what blessing those that curse you does. You need to know. You don't just do it because, okay, uh, he's kind of advising me to do this. You need to know this is for your good. How in the world do I, when people hurt me this bad, how do I get the clutches of that? How do I get, because it can sink in so deep. It can get into the very core of who we are. Right? How do I get that out of there so I can be free? You bless them. Think about that. You bless those people that curse you. I, I had somebody in my life in a in a ministry that I was involved in that had intentions to make some decisions and they had a lot of power and they could influence the thing significantly with a school that I was involved with. And it was going to take our school a place where I had already put I'd probably already put 18 years of my life into that school. I mean I put myself in, I you know, I put myself into that thing and it was gonna just and from where I saw it it was gonna wreck where we were going. And I saw the plan that they had and that, the, that I was finding out that they were going to do. And I mean, this anger rose in me and this bitterness rose in me. And it was like a taste in my mouth I'd never tasted before. And I was going, what is this? <laughs> and how do I deal with this? And I went and I talked to a wise brother and I just told him what's going on. He's going, man, you've got unforgiveness going on. You've got bitterness rising in you. I said, well, what do I do about this? And he said, I can tell you. It's probably one of the hardest things you're ever going to do in your life. I said, what's that? And he goes, every time that starts happening, you need to pray for him and ask God to meet him more than he's meeting you. You need to ask God to reveal himself to him more than he's revealing himself to you. You need to ask God to bless him in his ministry. And I'm going like, no! (laughs) No! And I put on my screensaver back in the day. We had just gone from the monochrome green thing, you know, to where it was there. And I had a screensaver, and it just said, the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And it said, forgive those who persecute you. And every time I got to my computer, it was just feeding back to me. And every time it came, I would just go, okay, stop. I'm going to do it. I don't feel it. I don't like it. I'm going to do it anyway. You know what happened after a while? I started getting into it. And I want to tell you, it was the EpiPen that set me free from the bitterness in that. This is important for us. This is our antidote. Forgiveness is hard. Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I forgive? Seven times 70. So with the few minutes we have left, I want to respect the people that are keeping our lively members of the church Forgiveness is not reconciliation. How many people does forgiveness depend on? One. How many people does reconciliation depend on? Two. So don't get confused, guys. Let's say Stephen and I, we've got a real issue going on here and stuff. We may may come to a place to where I realize this side of heaven We may not reconcile. I have someone in my life that I just don't know that it'll ever reconcile. But I know this. I've done everything I could to communicate that I forgive them and ask them to forgive me. But that's all I can do, and I release that. So do you understand that? So if there's somebody that's hurt you, let's say there's a family member and they've hurt you badly, 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 that doesn't mean that you have to come to a place to where your relationships reconcile. It means that you release them of their debt. Fair enough? You understand that? So don't confuse that. It doesn't mean that you deny the hurt. Just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you're not gonna hurt anymore. It may still hurt you. It doesn't mean that you have to be a doormat. So classic example, abuse. So let's say there's there's a woman She's been abused by a man or by her husband, and there's abuse there. If she forgives, that doesn't mean that she then, like if he's still being violent, my counsel to her would be get out of that environment. Get out until you can resolve the dynamic that's going on there, and you know it's going to be safe for you to get back in there. If you sat down with her and talked to her about forgiveness, that doesn't mean that she's got to go, okay, I know he's going to beat the ever-living stew out of me tonight, but I guess i got to forgive him, so I'm going to march back in it. No. But could she choose to release him? Just a choice to release him of the debt and start the process of releasing him, the forgiveness? Yeah, she could. She could forgive him. It doesn't mean... Forgiving doesn't mean that you necessarily have trust. So like I would say to her, rebuild trust. I can forgive somebody, but that doesn't mean I need to trust them again. <laughs> trust is rebuilt in time. But there's a debt. Are you, are, you, are you following me? You guys tracking with me? There's a debt, and you're saying I choose not to hold you to that debt And I choose to leave that to the Father, and I'm releasing myself from the debt that's on that. And then they come back, and let's say there's somebody that's taking advantage of you with some money, and they come back and they want to get money again. I would go, you know what? The $100 that that you used, i release you from that. You, You do not need to repay me that $100. You don't. If we want to talk about a loan again, we're going to need to rebuild some trust because we've got a relationship here. And just because I've forgiven you that debt doesn't mean I need to be stupid enough to give you $100 again. (laughs) Right? Is this making sense? Yeah. Yeah, okay. It doesn't mean that you forget. You've heard the phrase, forgive and forget? No, you might not. It doesn't mean you have to. In fact, in some instances, it might be good that you do remember if somebody's taking advantage of you. It'd be wise to remember but you can forgive them. And forgiveness is not conditional. We don't get the choice. If we're in the kingdom of God, this is our bucket of grease we carry on our wagon everywhere we go. So what is forgiveness? It's a process. Seventy times seven. You may find yourself having to forgive that person again and again as it comes back and as the pain rises and say, I choose to forgive, Lord, I forgive. Forgive. Maybe a process for you. It it means that you give up your right to be right. And men, this is us with our wives. I'm here some amens from the week. <laughs> hey, maybe we give up our right to be right. Pride starts to sleep seep in. We have to recognize our own forgiveness, our own um, sinfulness. And forgiveness is best done with others. And that doesn't mean you, you gossip. Look, here, there's one anything I've learned from leadership, it's that complaint finds complaint. If somebody comes in this church and they're a complainer, I can tell you what's going to happen within a month. Guess who they're going to find? Complainers. And am I wrong? <laughs> okay? So if you're sitting here going, hey, I need to walk this out. I need some help. Who's a good forgiver? And you see that on that person, then maybe you go and say, hey, can we talk about something? I'm just really struggling with something, and I'm wanting to forgive this person. Then process that with it and confidentially, and make sure you, that you, what you don't do is go into damaging the person that's hurt you. Maybe that person remains nameless for their confidentiality. But get around good forgivers. Wouldn't it be awesome if this church, a hallmark on this church is, man, that church, those people not forgive. Wow. They walk in forgiveness in that community. And then give it to God. Forgiveness is giving it to God. He's the ultimate judge, guys. That's why, in faith, here's the key. That's why, in faith, you can choose to let the 12000 go. In your economy, it's not worth holding on to the $12,000. There's an amount of money worth doing what it does to you. You can let it go. And one of the main reasons you can exercise faith to do that is because our Father is the ultimate judge, and he will judge all things. And I can release that to him. So could I pray for you guys? Okay. Do you mind just standing up? And I'd like for you to just hold your hands out like this. It's symbolic, but like I'd like for it to be more than that. Like all our stuff's just right here in our hands, and we're making it available to the Lord. So the Lord Jesus, here we are. Every one of us deal with this. Some of us, wow. It's just the weight. Just the weight of it. Lord, first of all, we release it to you. You are the the judge of heaven and earth. We release it to you. Lord, we name it in our mind. We just name the person, we name the thing, and we give it to you. Then, Father, we, we choose right now to forgive that person or those that have hurt us. It's a choice. We may not like it, but we choose to do it. And we engage in that right now. And we say, I forgive. I'd I'd like for you just to picture in your mind who that one might be. And just say, I release you of your debt. You owe me nothing. And then, let's get our EpiPen out. Here comes the hard part. With that person in mind right now, let's bless them. Yeah, if you just want to whisper just your prayer, Father, we just bless. We bless. so hard to do, but we ask you, our greatest revenge would be that they would know you and prosper in you and come alive in you and that the enemy would not gain ground here. But we choose to bless them. Lord, reveal yourself to them. Lord, we choose to bless. Help us walk this out. Help us live this out we ask in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. All right. Thank you David so yep. much.